0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and Medhab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself, running your first marathon, or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight, because this is a show you just don't want to miss. Once again, I'm here with Benny Gifford, OCR Animal Extraordinaire. And he has recently relocated to Colorado Springs with uh, all the other Olympic athletes that train there. He thought he might as well shoulder up. I thought it was a great idea. Benny, say hello. What's going on, world? So, Benny, you know, you and I talk a lot about the uh, science and nuances of trying to become a better OCR athlete, what can we share with the people today that might be interesting for them to hear and uh, keep me in business?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, I don't even know exactly how other people refer to you, but when I talk about you, I kind of say he's like the running doctor or whatever. Uh, (laughs) And so my first thought that comes to that is your main – doctor job is to make people better faster runners and uh i was having a brutal session last night and i just remember thinking i was reading a book where they talked about the runners they they just looked like they were flying they looked like they were they were just moving at incredible speeds almost effortlessly and I, i i just kind of like tried to like picture a camera looking at me and i was like i don't think i look effortless and like i'm flying right now so what the freak What are some things I can do? I mean, obviously, I've studied a lot of mechanics with you and and stuff like that. But what are some things that I may be missing? What's like the holy grail of of information on making sure that I'm just, I'm utilizing my body as efficiently as possible to to just freaking fly while I'm running?
0: Got it. All right. Well, first of all, let me go ahead and apologize for the moronic analogies I'll probably use. (laughs) And some of them are not thought out and probably won't make a lot of sense. It's kind of like me referring to you as Ed McMahon and you not knowing who the hell that was.
1: Well, I am 12 years old. so.
0: <laughs> oh, man. But uh, So let's try to put this into a real simple perspective. What we've got to do when we're making contact with the ground to propel ourselves forward is we really have to access the springs that we have in our body. And much like, I use the analogy a lot, Uh, of someone being on a uh, skateboard. Mm -hmm. And if you can envision someone being on a skateboard and trying to go fast on the skateboard, what they're going to do is they're going to draw their knee up forward. They're going to push off the ground with their midfoot. Their midfoot will be pretty much in alignment with their other foot that is on the board, which is very near center of mass. And they're going to forcefully push into the ground, and push the ground past themselves. Mm. And if you've ever watched a kid do that, or if you've ever done it yourself, what's happening is you're going to push off the ground forcefully. That's your acceleration phase. And then the hip is going to be extended beyond the torso behind them. And then in the course of doing that, the hip is going to be sprung forward. And that would be, you know, just kind of going from the middle there. you got hip extension, which begets hip flexion. Okay? Okay. But let's go back to the ground for a minute. If you initiate contact with the ground with a neutral foot, meaning that you're not leaning out to the outside edge of your your fifth toe or you know, falling inward. Uh, I guess the terms that we should be using are pronating or supinating. You get onto the diving board, which is your great toe. You get there quickly. You get there very near your center of mass. And then you load. And what you're going to do is as your foot is making contact and your body weight is coming down onto your foot, you're going to be stretching the plantar fascia. You're going to lead that stretch into your Achilles, into your calf. And because your foot is near your center of mass, when you make that contact, there's going to be a chain of contractions that go all the way up to your core, right up into your pelvic floor. And when that happens, you've basically loaded the spring. And you're going to get this really forceful contractile opportunity as you're eccentrically loading that whole system. And then as you push off, you get that acceleration, And you launch your body forward. And then as you launch your body forward like this, your leg, having propelled you forward, is falling behind you, much like the analogy of the kid on the skateboard. And then what you got now is that hip extension. And that hip extension is going to get hip flexion. And the flexion is important because it sets your leg up for the next stride. So commonly, I will tell people, when I'm working with them in the lab to pick their knee up, pick their knee up, pick their knee up. Because if they get their knee up a little higher in the course of their gait, what ends up happening is their, their knee is opposing gravity, and the gravitational forces are going to push down on the top of the leg, and it's going to add to that force production off the ground. Now, the important thing to realize is essentially there's three things that happen in the stride phase. There is deceleration. And that's where your body is absorbing impact, ground force reaction. It's gathering energy eccentrically. And I'm going to go through this quick and then I'm going to try to explain it. But you're eccentrically gathering energy. You're going to gather this energy all the way up into your core. And then you're going to explode off the ground, which is a concentric effort in the acceleration phase. You're going to push off. And then while your leg is in recovery, it's behind you. You're gathering energy again, and it creates that flexion to set your leg back up into the stride frequency again. Now, the thing that I haven't talked about and is really important and more important than people know is what happens with your arm swing. And what kind of got us started on this was you dropping that little clip to me of the guy sitting on his butt and doing the arm swing. Mm. Now, Arm swing is important because if you're crossing your body with your arm swing, the result of that is you're going to cause your foot to evert. So your toes are going to splay out to the outside. Try to imagine if I draw my left arm across my torso, my right foot is going to be pointing outward when I'm making contact with the ground. If I swing my right arm back around, so I'm just counterbalancing, essentially what I'm doing is going through space, and I'm causing all sorts of diversion from the potential to gather this impact force from the ground and run it up the kinetic chain.
1: Okay, and so, so basically it's starting off the kinetic chain from the wrong, from not a neutral forward like a squared uh, base, and so it ends at the end of the whip with your foot going the wild direction, all because your arm swing was rotating your torso, basically.
0: All right, so let me go with another stupid analogy. It just occurred to me while I was listening to you say this. Get on a diving board, jump up and down on it, Okay. and you're going to jump up and down on the ball of your foot, and you're going to be pushing off the board with your great toe, which was where the the best potential for force production off your foot's going to come from. And you're actually going to be gathering energy up that kinetic chain just like I spoke of. You're just going to be doing it with both feet. Now, let's change that and have you try to do the same thing and land on the outside edge of your foot on the board mm. first. And then what will happen is there's going to be a, a late-stage pronation. So, in other words, you catch the – the contact point on the outside of your foot and then your foot lays down. And then when your foot finally lays down, then you're now in that position to be able to create that force production. So it's late. So think about what happens when you're running. If In a lot of people that I see, because this late stage pronation is a byproduct of overstriding, they're losing a ton of energy potential because, and I always make this comment, that their body is late to the party. Mm. So when you're overstriding and your foot's making contact ahead of your center of mass, commonly what ends up happening is because your lower limb from the knee down is extended beyond your knee. When you just do that, you'll find that your, your your great toe will kind of point upwards, and you'll catch the outside edge of your foot. And then as you start to bring your body towards your foot, which has made contact with the ground, as your foot sets down, that's this late-stage pronation, which, again, your body is catching up to your foot to finally get to a place where you're stable. And now, with that stability, you can force yourself off the ground again. But what we want to do is we want to eliminate all that lag time to getting to a stable position. And the best way to do that is to have your foot make contact closer to your center of mass, onto the ball of your foot quickly, gather the energy immediately, and dispel that energy or release that energy into forward propulsion quickly. So basically what you're doing is you're going to get greater force production, which is going to yield a much further distance in your stride while your stride opens up behind you and then as your stride opens up behind you, you're creating this extension in your hip, which is going to cause this, this rebound effect to punch your knee back up and forward again to reset you for the cycle once more. Mm. Did I just completely lose you?
1: No, no, that actually really worked. You're good at walking through that. So aside from just being, uh, having the connect chain working how it's supposed to, just the compound uh combination of the lack of time getting to that neutral position, that's going to add up in like, the amount of time that you're going to save. It's about and, a tenth of a second. Yeah, with every stride, every single time, not spending that much time and effort tr- just getting to a neutral position, that turns into big games, yeah.
0: Well, so let me offer you a couple things. First of all, once upon a time I was circulating a video, a couple of videos of uh, an analysis I did of Matt, Campione. I don't know if you saw it. No, I never did. How but, did I see that? He's my buddy. Uh, I'll send it to you. Okay. The first video he sent me, was, I have the dates because I was showing it to somebody just the other day. January 31st this year. Matt was moving pretty well, but he was overstriding, and his foot contact with the ground was well ahead of his center of mass, and his leg was pretty much extended. So when he made contact with the ground, he's dorsiflexed, his toes are pointing up, He's landed on his calcaneus, which is the bony protrusion of your heel. And now his body has to catch up to where his foot is. And so you have this momentary lapse of stability until you get over that foot. Then you get to that place where you have that opportunity to gather that energy and push off again. But it's late. And the potential for that force production has been dissipated by your inability to get stable quickly. And then it was on... 224, less than 30 days later, through some conversations we had in tutelage, I offered him up, he corrected it. Yeah. And I got a video of him doing the same thing, difference being he landed very, very near his center of mass off of his midfoot first, and then his propulsion phase, the, his push off, sent him sailing through space. I didn't have the ability to measure how far he was traveling. But when you slow it down and look at it, it looks like he he jumped, you know, six feet. It almost looked like he was moving laterally forward six feet away from his last contact point. And so when he sent me that video, my first question was was to him, just tell me that you were at 180 strides per minute. Hmm. And he said, oh, yeah, I was. He goes, it's weird because I felt like I was flying. Yeah, And so the difference in the two episodes was that he was able to get on to his launching pad, you know, where the great toe is, that neutral plantar fascia, um, loading and right on up the kinetic chain and pushing himself forward. He was able to access more of his potential power. Nothing about him physically has changed other than he put himself in a better position when he landed. And then the outcome was he was able to launch himself forward very, very quickly and very far. So, you know, I always talk about stride frequency and getting people to try to adopt uh, 180 strides per minute with their running. And where a lot of people get confused with that is they they end up getting very choppy with their stride frequency because they're Mm -hmm. trying to make their stride shorter. And when they try to make their stride shorter, what happens is it's just impossible to go fast like that. And it's very expensive. Your heart rate's going to go through the roof. Mm. But he was able to probably gather, and I'm just hypothetically offering this up, but he probably gathered about six to eight inches further distance per stride at less cost.
1: And for, uh, and for somebody like Matt with his little midget limbs, that's a big, that's real important. <laughs> well,
0: yeah. And, you know, and uh, by the way, since you brought that up, I have guys that are short that struggle with this. Mm-hmm. And they're always asking me, you know, what do I got to do? Because I always talk to them about opening up their hip angle. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to cause the trailing leg to open up behind them because it's like loading the spring. Mm-hmm. It's a really important element in the process. When you get that hip to draw back like that, you're getting into some very, very powerful tendons and ligaments and musculature in your psoas muscle and your hip flexors that are going to really forcefully draw you back into space. And it's like resetting that knee. So your knee will actually raise higher and higher and higher relative to the force that you generated off the ground. Mm. And the higher your knee goes up and forward, the further and longer you'll, you'll stride. And so... It seems like a lot of stuff to think about, but if you just kind of narrow it down to the, the key elements here, it's all about getting onto the appropriate springs and use them to the best of your ability, uh, where a lot of people are late to the party with their contact points and or they cause confusion with their upper body. Yeah. So if you're throwing your arms side to side or you've got some kind of weird arm swing, you're really causing a lot of confusion and disruption in, in how you're going to make contact with the ground.
1: Yeah, I, I sent you that clip this morning because I don't even, I can't even remember. I got a terrible memory. I think it was yesterday. I saw a video somewhere about, uh, it was probably an ad on Facebook about arm swing in sprinters and things like that. And I would assume that it's going to be the same thing as with more of an endurance style athlete. Um, maybe not, as, not quite as high or it's drastic um but um arm swing has been the hardest thing for me to I, I just feel weird um it does not feel natural at all which i mean it shouldn't especially because my entire well because my whole life i've been running incorrectly it's it's gonna feel weird um but uh yeah i've, I've really noticed that that was one of the main things you corrected with me was when i was swinging my arms across my torso i was basically running on like a tightrope i was running on a line my legs were right this instead of the piston kind of forward and back
0: right so what ends up happening is you're absolutely right your leg will cross over your center line so if you were like to divide your body in half from a frontal plane your left foot is traveling in the neighborhood of where your what right foot should be traveling i have people that do this that actually kick themselves when they run (laughs) you know they their heel will catch their calf
1: yeah on the way up
0: on the way up yeah and um you know, they they don't know what it is. They're always trying to think about what can I do with my foot contact to correct this, where, in fact, what's happening is they're driving their legs across laterally because of the way they're swinging their arms. Yeah. So it's simple. If you just kind of cross your arms in front of your chest back and forth, you see your hips are going to wag back and forth along with it. So realize your femurs are attached to your hips, and you're actually driving your legs across your body. And so all that disruption, it's detracting from your potential to gather more force production off the ground. So you really just, and and again, I apologize for the stupid analogies, but if you've ever played tennis, if you've ever hit a baseball with a bat, you know that when you get to that sweet spot, that the ball travels much farther, much faster. And when you hit it wrong, it may still travel, but it might go off into a tangent direction, It may not be as as, uh, far a drive or as forceful a drive. And so it's a function of really kind of getting to the sweet spot and aligning all the joints in the correct patterns and gathering that energy.
1: Yeah, and one of the main takeaways I got that that was a quick almost sum up of what I learned from from you on many occasions was I stopped focusing on my – Trying to fix my foot strike because that was the symptom of, that was like, that was the extension of what was going on at the beginning of the kinetic chain. So I started focusing on the top of the whip so that the end point is going to work better. So I started with my arm swing, and I've noticed when my arm swing uh, is correct, everything else is because then my hips are not firing at a rotated way, so I'm not doing any crossover. Um, Well, the two things I focus most on are that 180 steps per minute. To make sure that I'm hitting, because honestly, if you're running 180, you will you will feel stupid. You will know you're doing something wrong if you are overstriding at 180 steps per minute. Uh, and so, if I just make sure that I'm hitting that at least 180 steps per minute, and I've got my arm swing correct, then I don't worry about where my foot is hitting necessarily. Because if everything's firing correctly, then my foot should be landing correctly.
0: Right. Well, again, I guess the the frustrations that I have doing this every day with people and listening to the the frustrations that people have is that they get a little bit of information. They may have read a book. They
1: mm-hmm. may have
0: saw some videos on YouTube. And they get these little snippets of information. And it's just not all the pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And they can't quite put them all together. And so they might try to uh, administer a particular snippet that they, they picked up, you know, one being trying to get their cadence up, and but all the other assets are not in play, and so it doesn't work, and then because they, they're frustrated with the outcome, that they just go back to what I call it better to do business with the devil you know than the devil you don't. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I had this conversation with one of my clients who came out to visit me, and Everything was going really well when he was with me, but he went back home and he was working on some things. And he, he pleaded with me. He said, look, uh, so I know that my stride frequency before was really slow, but I got it up to about 172 strides per minute now. So is it okay that I just kind of hang there for a while and then eventually get back up to 180? I said, no. I said, the reason why you're not able to get to 180 and you're only able to accomplish 170, is because you're still overstriding. It's just taking too long for your foot to get back in play because you're you're tossing your foot forward of your knee. And as soon as you start dropping your foot ben, beneath your knee on contact, you're going to find that it's going to be a lot easier to master that stride frequency. And so the other thing that I think that gets confusing for people. Is they don't think in terms of trying to create a greater stride, because they think that's the thing they're trying to avoid. The yeah. thing that you want to stop doing is striding ahead of yourself. You don't want to throw your leg in front of your body because all you're doing is causing a breaking force that's going to impose upon your forward progress. Yeah. So you see what I'm saying It's like these little snippets, and and then I, I the 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 big one is when people talk about. They find research somewhere. Someone will eventually write something about um, the fact that you don't need to run on your midfoot, that you can run on your heels and still be effective and be safe.
1: Right.
0: Well, that may be true. I mean, you could, in fact, heel strike and keep your foot near your center of mass. And the key to reducing the the, uh, stress points at the ankle, knee, and hip is not to overstride. Because you're, you're imposing that breaking force and you've got three to five times your body weight slamming into those joints. So
1: mm-hmm. just
0: sucking that foot in closer to your body is going to be better for you. But what I think they're missing, and I, I would argue to the death, is that when you land on your midfoot, the chain of events that occur and the potential energy gathering and the energy release opportunities are far and away greater then what would happen if you land on your heel? Because when you land on your heel, odds are you are going to offer up some late-stage pronation, even if it's close to your center of mass. So you're, you're, first of all, you're landing on dead space because your calcaneus is not attached at that point in the road to any connective tissue that's going to provide you with that, that, that energy return. Right. A- and so you're, just dis- you're dispelling that opportunity to gather that energy down at that part of the limb, and you're going to be a little late with your opportunity to gather the energy up the kinetic chain. And so you, you want to be on the ground a little bit. I want to be clear how I say this. When you set your midfoot down on the ground, your heel is going to light down. You're not going to stay up on your toes. And you should be glued to the ground until your knee is extended beyond your great toe. Mm. All right? So if you find that you're having to pull your foot off the ground Earlier than that, it probably suggests that you don't have enough ankle mobility. You're tight in the ankle. Mm -hmm. And so you are not allowing yourself to get to this stability that occurs when your heel finally lights down to the ground in the stride frequency. Right. I want to just clearly put this back out there. There's three things that happen in the gait cycle. You're going to create an eccentric contraction, which is elongation under load. So you're stretching muscle under tension. You're stretching ligaments and tendons under under tension, which is like, you know, grabbing a rubber band and pulling on it. You've got all this available energy and if you snap it loose, you get that repayment, which is would be the polar opposite contraction, which would be concentric. Mm-hmm. But so you first you make contact with your midfoot, you let your heel light down, your knee travels ahead of your your big toe, you gather up all that energy and that's that's the deceleration phase, and that's the energy-gathering phase, eccentric energy. And then you're, as your body comes over top of your foot, you get stable. That's an isometric contraction, which means there's no change in dimension. You're not getting longer or shorter in the contraction. You just mm-hmm. locked everything down. So um, try to imagine if you just, like, put your foot on... Uh, in your case, put it on the side of your bed. (laughs) You guys got to see this. He's in his bed with Oreos. Got my Oreos, man. (laughs) Sorry if you can hear crinkling or crunching. You know, the beauty of this is I get to see you do it and they don't. (laughs) But anyway, so like if you lay your foot down and then as your knee starts to travel over your great toe, you just became stable. It's like an isometric contraction. You locked everything down all the way up to your hip you gathered all this energy, now you're getting ready to release it. And you release it in this concentric contraction. You push off. And then the better at this you get, you're going to start noticing your travel, the amount of stride length you get is going to be greater, which is in turn going to cause you to go faster. So realize that if your stride length is greater, but your frequency hasn't changed, it's fixed we're at 180 strides per minute, but we're able to push ourselves further th- through space relative to that frequency. You got something going for you right there. Mm-hmm. Now, someone might say, "Well, if 180 strides per minute is going to make me faster and more stable and more uh, injury prevented, what about going to 190 or 200?" Well, clearly, if you if you wind up that fast, then the cost factor goes up. So okay. your energy expense is going to be greater. So when you're running with your buddies and you're looking at the finish line and we're trying to figure out who gets to get on the podium, you got you got to pull the trigger and you've got to jack that that cadence back up again. But you want to kind of stay as close to home, and home to me is 180 strides per minute as, as you possibly can, until the time is right. And you need to make that acceleration, and you've exhausted your ability to travel through space further at that frequency. So you go to 190, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, this this exact topic, me and Matt, I don't think they're going to – they're definitely not going to because th- the audience doesn't want to hear this. But on, on the Spartan show, me and Matt, we're on the same team, uh, Spartan the Ultimate Team Challenge. And we are mid-competition, and we're talking about your clinic. We're like, dude – Are you at 180 steps per minute right now? I'm like, no, I don't know, man. (laughs) And we were trying to figure it out because there were different segments where we were uh, like doing a little metronome sound out loud so that we could like try and stay at it. But at one point, we needed to move faster. And we're like, I don't know. I feel really, we were just having this conversation and we're mic'd up the whole time. So there's, I mean, there's not a chance they're going to use it because nobody cares about cadence in the masses. uh, But, Uh, we were (laughs) during the competition, we were sitting there talking about 180 steps per minute and crap, I want to run faster. Does that mean I just take these freaking leaping strides or do I increase it? Um, but yeah,
0: well, you know, it's again, it's, that's a snippet and, you know, people will use it and they toss it around a lot. So let's just say that you're running along and you're telling someone, "Yeah, I'm going to try to hang or they're listening to your metronome, okay?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're going, "What the hell's that?" You know, "What are you what are you doing?" And and they, "Oh no, no, this is the appropriate stride frequency and, you know, my coach told me to do this blah blah blah." And so they get it in their head and they try to do it, but they don't have all the other details. So something's left unsaid and so they struggle with it. It doesn't make any sense to them and then they give it up. Yeah. And and so I guess this is the frustration that most people have is when they're trying to wander around to find solutions to their ability to perform. And they don't seem to find something they can gravitate towards that they know is gonna work for them. Okay. And, and I, you know, I tell my clients that I work with all the time is that the first couple of weeks of working with me is gonna be very frustrating <laughs> because I'm gonna slow you down and I'm gonna make you do things very different than you're accustomed to doing yeah. and then when you graduate, when you you know, when you can grab the pebble from my hand, grasshopper, you remember that? Yeah, you do. Kung yeah, of course. Okay. Well, do you know, I don't know, man. I like you, you, I'm old because you know.
1: Well, okay. I grew up watching a lot of. I'm want to say classics because <laughs> they may not be classics to you, but no,
0: I've I, I've got my fair share of things. My dad always loved watching and stuff. Yeah, so I, you know, I'm like grab the pebble from my hand, and when you can do that, then we're going to get on to some really cool stuff because. When you've got it mastered, I mean, look, when you've got a good handle on the way you move, then, and you'll, I'll get these guys who will give me these aha moments go, oh, man, I think I got it. I think I, you know, just yesterday, my, my, you know, it was all working for me. And, you know, I'm looking at the metrics after the fact. And my stride was there and my speed was up. And I felt like I could do it again, you know. Mm-hmm. So what they're telling me is they're fresh. They got a great workout they're producing great speeds greater than they're accustomed to doing and they start seeing the forest for the trees but you got it's like you know you you watch uh you watch a bruce lee movie you know and you oh man i got to learn karate you know so you roll into the karate studio and you know you, you you see these black belts in there and they're you know they're doing these flips in the air and breaking bricks with their head and and you want to be that guy right
1: yeah
0: but you, they're going to hand you that little white belt they're going to go tell you to sit on the floor, and, you know, they got you doing some really methodical, very slow and repetitious things till you start developing these motor patterns, and then eventually you become quicker and quicker and quicker, and, you know, one day, you know, there you are. But right. a lot of guys don't want to back up. A lot of guys don't want to take the time to make these corrections and get into a better place, which is unfortunate because what they end up doing is they tend to want to push themselves harder. And when you push yourself harder with with bad form, you set yourself up for injuries
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you've heard me say it uh when we were in Texas. I think the first thing I spouted out of my mouth was, "You have no
1: business running faster if you're not running correctly
0: That's right, yep. you know you got no business adding volume or intensity to your work until you're able to run properly.
1: <laughs> my girlfriend in the other room just rolled her eyes at me because i'm I'm trying to be a little mini diaz out here um. <laughs> She's getting more into running and stuff, and and the whole time I'm I'm trying to keep my mouth shut as much as possible because I don't, I don't want to I want trail running for her to be enjoyable, but the whole time I'm like, watch your cadence, honey, your arm swinging, watch yeah. out there. You're 180 blah, blah, this and that, and and I said that to her. I was like, you know, Richard Diaz says <laughs> you have no business running faster if you can't run correctly. <laughs> you know,
0: on that note, my wife has worked with me uh, doing clinics for. I can't even tell you how many years, and she's gotten to be a really pretty good coach. Yeah. And when I ask her to perform, she runs really well, right? Um, but she's not someone that would do a race. She she has never registered for a race, yeah. and has no interest in doing any kind of a race. And I and I fought her tooth and nail about it, and just no way. But when we're running together, she gives me crap.
1: <laughs> yeah. and,
0: and what I tend to do is uh, I look down, and part of the reason I look down is because I'm not comfortable picking up my left foot, and I I had, you know, not to go into another rant, but I had a pretty serious uh, spinal cord surgery about 12 years ago, so Mm. I've got some resident nerve damage in my left leg, which causes the leg to get a little lazy, and there's not a lot I can do about it, but uh, I tend to look down just just to see, make sure I'm not going to kick something and, and do a face plant, which is something I used to do a lot of. Hmm. So she'll come up behind me, and I hear this, head, 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 <laughs> head. And I'm like, oh, God, get off me, man, you know. She's, <laughs> but she's, uh, she you got your head down. You got to pick your head up. And, you know, she's correcting me. So, mm. yeah, I get it. I mean, we, we all become the running form Nazis after a while. And once yeah. you kind of get it and you know what you're trying to do and you see other people running and you know they're hurting themselves, it's uh, it's hard not to say something. Uh, I'm usually pretty good. I don't usually try to correct people I don't know. Mm. You know, I don't like getting there. Hey, dude, wait a minute, man, you should. I never do that. I just let them do what they're doing and just,
1: you know. It's funny that the same the same concept, the dynamic transfers over from the 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 bro gym life to running as well. Like I I don't have a running background, but I I used to be a typical meathead and stuff, and it was always. You are always either the douche who tried to correct everyone in the gym or you were the douche who let the guy hurt himself because he didn't correct him when he was right. doing something stupid. There's there's no, like, good way about it. Cause no. You try and correct somebody out of kindness, it's not going to be taken well most of the time.
0: Well, you know, and the other end of it is somebody sees me coming down the road and they don't know me, they're not about to take any advice from me, you know. Right, they're, yeah. They're like, well, who are you? You're just like this old fat man. What What do you know? I <laughs> mean... I don't want to listen to you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had a kid at the track the other day, high school kid, probably gearing up for football. And he was doing these interval repeats on the track, and he was killing himself. I mean, literally, he was killing himself. And I was on the track with a couple other clients,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, you know, I got a little break from them. They were off doing something, and, and I was biting my finger, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go offer the kid some help. Yeah, And I, I come up to him, I said, hey, listen, son, I said, uh, if you'd like, I can offer you a few tips that might help you. And he looked at me and goes, uh, no, thanks, I'm good. <laughs> and what was funny is the kid that I was working with on the track is 200 bucks an hour, mm-hmm. you know, for him to be with me. Right. And he's, he heard me say that I was going to give this guy a tip, uh-huh. and I mean, like on the house, I'm going to try to help this kid, and the kid totally blew me off. And, and he just shook his head, thought it was ridiculous. Because, yeah, you know the kid was looking for a scholarship. You know this kid's probably not going to get one. So yeah. shame on him. Yeah. Anyway, so listen. Uh, so how's Colorado? Before we go off, you loving it?
1: Oh, it's freaking amazing, dude. Um, the the elevation has been kicking my ass. That's for sure. But uh, other than that, it is so freaking gorgeous. I'm so glad I moved here. Uh, Dallas was. Just happened to be where I stayed because my family was there. And everyone in my family wants to leave Dallas, but nobody wants to leave the family. So everybody's kind of like, oh, you go first. No, you go first. So um, it's it's been flipping amazing being out here. The training has just shot through the roof. And uh, I'm kind of doing this thing where every Saturday I'm, I'm experiencing something drastically new and crazy and fun, uh, like stand-up paddle boarding, skiing snowboarding uh i mean i I just got a little puppy husky at some point yeah i'm freaking pumped about him he's he's a little little turd right now though but he's going to turn into a beast uh but i'm excited to try this thing called i think it's skioring is how you say it but it's just basically skiing with your dog pulling you instead of like pulling you in a sled And he's a husky so yeah that's, that's what he's bred to do so that's what you're hoping for right Totally. By dragging to a tree or something, right? <laughs> getting, we're going to wreck many times under that.
0: <laughs> well, you have good fun with that. Um, so you're not going to be in Dallas. We're going to come to Dallas in November. Uh, no. You know, everybody kept saying, come to Texas, come to Texas. And we were toying with where to land, whether we're going to go back to Austin. We started talking about going to Houston. And someone said, nope, nope, come to Dallas. So Well, when? When when are you going? You said September. we're going to be there. Um, I think we're going to be there the, the 18th, 19th, and 20th. So the clinics are planned for the 19th and 20th. Uh, I'm going to get there a day early. Um, I'm actually going to go to Cuba first. We're going to yeah. My wife and I are going to go down to Mexico, Cancun. Then we're going to go. Parte Cuba. I've, I've always wanted to go. You know, that's my heritage. I've always wanted to go there. I've never been there, and um, I hey. want to go there before we mess it up. You know.
1: <laughs> You better be ready for a freaking wild time. That place is insane.
0: I'm only going to go for about two days. I'm going to get out of there. I'm going to pick me up some cigars. It's going to be awesome. Nice. Yeah, have some hey, Cuban rum.
1: Yeah. You know what you should do? Uh, you should switch that entire clinic to the weekend before to leverage Savage Race. is that weekend. And they only do a one-day event. You're going to have a shy ton of athletes in Dallas on the 10th. I mean, Savage, I don't know if you know about them, but they, that's the shirt I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah. They, they attract a huge number of athletes. And you would just easily be able to leverage a bunch of those people who, who come in for it. Plus, it would give me a reason to be able to be in Dallas, like for a double whammy. Is it in Dallas? Yeah, dude, it's it's Dallas Savage Race September 10th. That's why I was really hoping. Either September way.
0: 10th or November 10th?
1: Oh, oh, are you talking November? Yeah. Nah, yeah, it's in September. Okay. Well, maybe oh, we'll, we'll come
0: in September too.
1: <laughs> maybe I mean I'm I, I've never thought about that but that would to me it would just make sense i mean i i don't necessarily know how much conversion would come from that but uh i know there are tons of athletes who are targeting quote-unquote yuri force but they're targeting him in the way i was when i was a noob and i was like yeah i'm gonna take this guy down i have no idea what i'm doing but um i didn't want to wait a full year in between you know right. when i was gonna get out this see you and stuff but uh
0: we're gonna go up to uh the bay area uh in july Got, got some folks there that are interested in having us come up. So, And plus, you're pretty fluid. You can always come out here. You know, you should anyway.
1: I, I'm absolutely going to. The only reason I haven't made it out this month is because, well, one, we didn't plan on buying this freaking puppy. That's for sure. Uh, that wasn't supposed to happen for like another three months, but... We kind of just – it was like one of those love at first sight things. We're like, oh, crap, we got to get him. Uh, and he its literally like raising a freaking child. It's its insane. Every hour on the hours, throughout the night, doesn't matter what time it is. got to take him out. Um, but anyway, as soon as all that calms down, he is uh, – or as soon as that calms down, I'm, I'm coming out there as, as soon as I can.
0: Well, that would be good. We'd love to have you out. So going to close this puppy down. I guess since we've been talking about the clinics, I should let people know how to find out about it. If they go to naturalrunningcoach.net, they'll find details on the clinics, the dates, where we're going to be. Actually, I'm doing a clinic this weekend, right here. Ugh. So, uh, you know, I'm all about it. It's like, it's my, I'm like a one-trick pony. It's like, gotten to be the only thing I do these days.
1: Uh, anyways, I'm, my plan is to get out there, and then I will be attending a lot more frequently.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you get around here for a while, I'll make you fast. Make That's you really tough. fast old (laughs) alright buddy thanks for doing this with me and uh, enjoy your weekend coming up
1: no problem thanks a lot Archie
0: okay talk to you soon well friends it's time to bring another show to a close be sure and tune in to us next week we've got a lot of great content in store for you I want you to tell your friends to check us out you can always find us on Facebook simply go search the Natural Running Network drop us a message I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do And until then, you have an amazing day.